Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. I'm your host, Special Mikey, and with me, as always, Hindu Anthony. What's up, Buttercup? Super vegan, Brian. Hello, nurse. (laughs) And our special guest today, Eric Britton, the Pathfinder Society Guild Adventure Coordinator, correct? Correct. Thank you for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you here. For the first time. Yeah, ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking before the show, so I felt like we already did a show. So (laughs) he's technically back, but not. But I'm glad to have you here. We all are. This is going to be a wonderful episode. So, uh, but Eric, you know, uh, how about you tell us something about yourself a little bit? Uh, I am a huge nerd. I am a geek both in my professional life and my private life. I'm a giant gaming enthusiast and I've been involved in the hobby since the 70s. Oh, my. Yeah. So you see, so you, 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 uh, you, you're worth your salt. You've paid your dues. <laughs> I've been around for a while. Our first time. I am not the oldest one here. <laughs> Yay. Have Brian. Back, Brian. No prize. <laughs> Yay, Brian. Yay. So, um, if, as, as everybody has noticed our special guest today, he's actually communicating us through a phone. So today's call is technically a real call. So his his audio might be a little garbled at, at some point. We might have to be, we'll probably repeat ourselves just in case he doesn't understand something. So bear with us because this is going to be a great call. I promise. He promise. Don't make me break my promise, Anthony, because I will break it over your head. Oh. I think Brian's the one that has control because he can make it a very short episode and remove all the audio problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 he can actually. Yeah, just for. We, we saw evidence of that when we had Daniel Cross on the line, and I was able to successfully re- remove all the audio problems. All of it, none of it existed. <laughs> yeah, so uh, don't piss off the wizard. <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen people piss off the wizard for like five bucks. 20 games of Galaga and just get hate murdered. Hate murdered? Wow, Brian. That is an aggressive level of murder. <laughs> Brian, super vegan Brian, the hate murderer. <laughs> the hate murderer. Not just the hate murderer, the hate murdering wizard. His magic word is, and fuck you, and you. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time we start everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You? And today, we're going to start with Anthony. Ari. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, my... My nerdy thing this week is something that I probably should have done a long time ago, but I binge watched the entire series of Stranger Things yesterday. I'd only seen like the first two episodes, and then I watched like the next three, and then I went to a party, and then I came home, and I watched the last, I think, four that night. (laughs) That was the reason why you asked me to do the outline. That is not why I asked Because <laughs> <laughs> you need, that, that would have been a perfectly good reason. Like, I have to binge the rest of this show. I need you to do my podcast work for me. And I would have been like, yes, that because was that is the, the reason, entire though. spirit of the podcast. That would have been a that good is, reason. <laughs> that is not the reason, though. But thank you for assuming that that was that it that I at least had a a nerdy mission in mind, which I did. No, nope, that show nope. is head cannon. That's why you asked. Holy shit, that show is great. Yeah, I still need to finish it. Oh my god. Have you seen it, Eric? I have not. 
Oh, oh shit, dude. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. There's D&D in it, man. Come on, watch it. <laughs> it goes on the list. Good. These are really big it's part on the of list. It. That's actually oh. one of my favorite things about the show is explaining all the intricate, complicated shit of the show using D&D. <laughs> Which is really awesome. So, I'm going to switch things up. Usually, I switch right over to Brian for his nerdy thing, but I'm going to switch over to our guest. Eric, what's nerdy with you? Well, uh, like I said, I'm a big gaming enthusiast, and I was part of I'm part of multiple home games. I had two of them this week. Uh, one of the the games didn't quite work right. So after the game, a friend of mine and I had about an hour and a half discussion about the specific mechanics about how to make games better and what could be the, the next best thing you could do with this. Um, one of the metaphors we use is like we are the directors or editors for a long-running serial TV show. And so it was more comparing D&D to different directing styles. Hmm. Ooh. In helps of making the game better. Did did anybody take notes? <laughs> well, this is a long, ongoing discussion about how to make gaming better. It's, it's one of the things I'd like to come back to later. We're, yeah, we're, your nerdy thing is going to be co- is going to to come back uh, for the rest of this uh, this to- today's <laughs> topic. So that's that's a uh, this isn't a uh, a mean way of saying it, but that that's pretty nerdy. That, I like that. I take it as a compliment. I never really saw it as a director style, but I like that. That works. And now, Brian, what's nerdy with you? All right. I got a good one. <laughs> so I last week I plugged um, Supernatural, the Road So Far's podcast um, with Sam and Malik. Yeah. And um, I also organized through that group an event where um, group members got together and watched the next episode of the show using an online streaming service where we'd all sync up called rabbit. I got the invite to that. I I actually had to go to work that night and you're watching one of my favorite episodes. We got like five people together and um, it'll probably be more next week and then more the week after that because we're going to do it a weekly thing in the group. Um, and it's probably on a time that you'll never be able to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, this, this, no, no, this, this, where I'm working now, they've been having me like be a mid shift one day, close one day. So there will, there will be a day where it syncs up and I'll be able to watch an episode and it'll probably be an episode I loathe. We're doing, um, we did, um, party, party on, on Garth. That's one of my favorites for this last one. And it was really cool. We all had, we all muted our microphones during the episode and opened up the chat and just had this like chat commentary during the show. And it was really cool. It was, it was, it was one of those things where I set it up just like a, we were doing the girls on the show were doing a live stream. And I mentioned, hey, how many people would like to gather together to watch the show on Rabbit? And then it turned into a thing. Um, when it happened, I was like, I can't believe I actually set this up. It was so freaking nerdy. So, Michael, what did you do this week? Well, for me, I actually had a, a my nerdy thing was actually kind of a nerd freak out. This week, uh, as as you all know, I watched the the streaming and recorded show Critical Role. Well, I finished last the the episode from last week, uh, the week before now, because it's Monday, and we're recording on a Monday. And it was a very good episode. They ended like a total like action movie cliffhanger guys are flying in on hawks and with armor wings and, and a broom and their druid was like like water skiing over the ocean to the shore and they were all meeting up and they were going in for the getting ready for this big battle with this really mean chick and i was like this is going to be great and i ended up 
going somewhere after work on Thursday. So I missed their live stream of last week's episode. I get online Friday morning and I see everybody freaking out. And there's like fan art of one of the characters, like looks like he's dying. And so my, my nerdy thing this week was me spending a good three hours scanning YouTube for a, for a pirated recording of the end of the game, fan art and any, and Twitter for everybody's, um, that plays the game's, uh, reactions to what they played last night to figure out what happened because I couldn't wait till Monday to watch the recording. (laughs) (laughs) You were trying to pirate a video, a YouTube video series is video to see what happens. Did you find it? No. (laughs) (laughs) The most information I got was that something happened to their gunslinger. I I gotta say, you know, Michael, that's, pretty nerdy and i was freaking out the entire time because the the gunslinger's name is percy and so the whole time i'm scrolling through i'm like i'm like not percy anybody but percy not percy i just want to recap i want to recap this so it's someone else's game that's portrayed online and you're so invested in their game that since you missed the last part you have to Find someone who's recorded it so you you don't have to wait till today and you failed (laughs) yeah I rolled a one on hacking. That's pretty well, you awesome. You can watch man. it today. Well, yeah, but we're recording right now, and then I got to go to school at six tonight, and then these things are three hours long. Oh, man, I'm going to be messing with you all day, dude. I'm going to just keep texting you. Do you know what happened? You're going to go look up the information. <laughs> the- <laughs> yes, I am. I'm going to go look this shit up now. Oh, just- I'm going to fuck with you all day today, Mike. Oh, my God. I'm going to watch it after we're done, too. Oh, I hate Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not telling you that you have to go to Geek and Sundry to get the Monday upload. Damn it. <laughs> Did that to myself. But oh, I have an addendum. I called one of the characters last week Trinket, and her name is actually Pike. There, I'm done. Oh, I I vote for Michael. Yeah, that was a good one. I vote for Michael. And if I get a vote, I vote for Michael as well. Oh, you absolutely get a vote. (laughs) You get a vote. Wait, did you realize this is the first time I've ever won what's nerdy with you? (laughs) I get the no prize. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, I got to I got to bring this up because so when I was doing my test call with Eric last week. Yeah, he mentioned that he's been listening to our show. Uh Oh, and he goes, did Michael ever go first in the game? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm usually like last or right before last. You go first last week. I think you finally did go first. I think I did go first. Yeah, I, I think I did. Well, It'll never happen again. The lead host never <laughs> It'll never happen again. It was a lapse of judgment. Cue the next week where Michael goes first. It's time for that ever-daunting, burning question. Brian, where did we send Anthony this week? Well, we went on theme, and it took some work, but we managed to get him to Igrorian, the capital city of Ke- Cheliax in the Pathfinder universe, to <laughs> interview people there and get first-hand perspective of how people indulge in their nerdy hobbies when they're in a uh, tyranny run by um, devil-packed nobles. So, what's that been like, Anthony? Um, Well, you'd be very surprised to know that they play a game that's similar to Pathfinder, sort of, but it's like the reverse Pathfinder. They they call it, um, they call it, uh, I think it's called uh, New York Banker, where they, where they, (laughs) Role play as as bankers in this magical world of America. 
what? Yeah, and they work like a nine to five job working at a bank, and they just go, they go do their job, and then Uh-oh. they go to lunch, and then they they talk a- around a, a watering a watering device about jokes they heard on the TV show last night, and then they go home to their boring wives and go to sleep and do it again the next day. What are the persuasion roles like on that? It's not really a persuasion role. It's more of like a. Um, I roll on small talk. <laughs> oh, so, do, you, do you think you could bring a, a copy of the game back through the existential border uh, portal that we sent you through? I have a feeling it might disintegrate. Uh, we'll try. We'll, we'll, let, we'll see how well it works whenever you get back. <laughs> um, Eric, do you have any questions for Anthony about Cheliax? <laughs> well, it's obvious they're not playing with the Wall Street edition of these rules. Otherwise, they're nine to five much longer. <laughs> <laughs> include a lot more drugs absolutely what, what i would want to know is what does anthony think of the hell knight presence on the streets well they they can get very aggressive sometimes there there was like a uh a, a kind of movement trying to argue about the 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 over aggressive nature of the hell knight guards there uh you know there's some protesting and uh that got shut down real fucking quick uh they so, do not stand for 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 protests of any kind well i have to ask you anthony are they trying to crack down on them anymore since now that they have those mobile scrying devices now and and their people are just scrying like their math and their mass stabbings on minorities well someone did and he got hung oh wow yeah uh, and, and scrying devices might be made illegal well <laughs> keep us keep us updated on events in in Chelyax. i probably yeah. can't they might kill me for it <laughs> as we all know Chelyax does not allow information to travel May I comment, though, that you're getting fantastic Wi-Fi there? It's got to be the voodoo. <laughs> Three shamans running on a wheel right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the server. It's just a, bunch of, just a bunch of warlocks just, like, doing a bunch of magic. Yeah, if, if you get real quiet, you can actually hear the mumbling uh, runic words in the background. It sounds phenomenally like a dial-up server, a dial-up yeah. modem. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you, Anthony, for for braving the portals between dimensions and going to a rather hectic and scary place on a plane you've never been to before, just to bring us information. Oh, you're you're welcome. Can't wait to do it next week. Uh, we'll send you somewhere a little bit more tamer. We'll we'll be nice. So okay, today we're talking with Eric Britton. It's pretty much our topic today. Uh, the majority of it, I think, we're going to want to talk about something called. Pathfinder Society and and Society Play, which Eric is very, very deeply immersed in and involved with. Uh, I just got to ask Eric, what exactly is Pathfinder Society uh, and Society Play? Well, Pathfinder Society is a Paizo worldwide organized play campaign that runs inside of the, the Pathfinder role-playing game rules. So it encompasses two pieces, one of which is the Pathfinder Society role-playing guild, which is the role-playing arm of that organization, as well as the Pathfinder Adventure Card Guild, which deals with the adventure card game. There's organized play environments that span both of these two different play systems. I'm responsible for supporting organized play across the southwestern region of the United States, as well as Central and Southern America. There are 11 other people, 10 other people that do this out there. And between us, we help uh, run, help coordinate, help assist with gaming in our different regions. So in organized play, you have the ability to build a character using a specific set of rules, and then you can take that character and play it anywhere in the world. 
literally, if you follow the rules to build the character, I can take it and play it here. I can play it in Norway. I can play it in Guam. I could play it in Antarctica and Ice Station Zebra if there was a person up there to run it. Okay. Okay. So we're. I have decided we are now going to open a Patreon and a Kickstarter, and we're going to get money together, and we're going up to <laughs> Station Zebra, and we are going to run a game up there. And I would gladly support you in doing that because uh, that will be awesome. <clears throat> so, but that's been. Oh, that's awesome uh, to find out what that is because I think most, uh, all, pretty much all three of us, your wonderful hosts, have done soci- uh, Pathfinder Society. I really love it, enjoy it. I don't get to do it as much as I like, though. Well, so. that's the great thing about society play is it's it's always there. It's a great uh, way to get in gaming when you have problems scheduling a, a home group. I know as you know, we all grow and get more obligations through family and other things, it can be very difficult to schedule, you know, a weekly home game. But if you look around your community, you can find offerings from the Pathfinder Society where it's a very easy entry to go and play. Uh, it's a very low commitment. Um, ideally, you sign up and let people know you're going to come. And if you're not going to come, you take your name off the list. But it's a great way to get in your gaming. Uh, the other thing it does is it lets you encounter the rules as they actually are. Since Pathfinder Society is a global campaign, the rules have to be very specifically followed. It allows you to get beyond the, the home game understanding of the rules and get a deeper knowledge of it. That's awesome. Actually. I have a. I, I just have a clarification question. What's the difference between a home game and Pathfinder Society? Okay. Well, a home game is a game you play with your friends. Um, and, you know, the rules are more like guidelines. If you don't like the way grapple works, you can change it. If you don't like the way the lighting rules work, you can change those. You can, you can alter the game to be what your specific group wants. For example, in the home games I play in, generally we don't use the experience system. You just level whenever it's appropriate inside of the story. You don't track experience. In Pathfinder Society, since it's a shared thing, since you have to be able to, anybody has to drop in and drop out, and as well as the the people who are running the game need to do this. The only real source of rules you have is the rule books themselves. And so, therefore, you must adhere more strictly to the rules as they are listed. Yeah. Which is a great thing because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of home game understanding that's carried over from the 3035 rules as well as some, some bleed back from the, the fifth edition rules. And it makes you playing society really forces you to look at what is this game? How does it work? Yeah, it, that's very, it's very true because I've. I've, I ran a home game for Firefly, and again, that's we modded rules for certain things. So, cool. it, and, and society, I actually got uh, the core rule book, uh, a physical print from Brian for my birthday last year. So, I don't have to bring my laptop everywhere now. So, Eric, what exactly does the venture coordinator do? Like, this all sounds, you know, extremely complicated. Like, how do you get all these people from all over the world to kind of like do this thing and yet it'd be so organized and so connected that anyone can go and play and and everyone will be on the same page. It sounds very complicated. And how do you make it not so complicated? Well, I I try to make it not complicated, but the truth is it's a very complicated organization. There's a lot of people involved. This is a volunteer thing. So people are volunteering their time to coordinate and offer these games. Um, So you have have players who play, you have the GMs who run it, you have the people who coordinate those events. And there's there's a tiered system where people report upwards. So at the front lines of this are the venture agents. And these are your people who are out there who are volunteering for Paizo to run games for stores, to coordinate for stores. They get a certain set of things they need to do as well as certain benefits above them in the, the tiering. They have the venture lieutenants 
to coordinate a broader area above them. You have the, the venture captains who the venture lieutenants report to, who start to move, as you start to move up this hierarchy, you're moving more into the convention supports and left and a little bit further away from the support for gaming in retail locations or public locations. And then you have the regional venture captains, regional venture coordinators, which is the tier that I'm at. And then above us, you have the organized play coordinator, which is Tanya Woolrich. So you think of it like a reporting hierarchy. There's probably 600 people in this organization right now uh, running this. I don't have the numbers on hand, but that's a, a close approximate. So what I do is I try to help all of the people who report up to me have an easier time of it by, by saying, you know, here's, here's stuff you need to pay attention to. Uh, here's some specific things I've heard about your region that you might want to look into. Here's some people who want to start organizing games in your area. So it's trying to connect people to other people. It's giving a place where people can get feedback as well as ask questions, as well as support, because being a coordinator can be a challenging thing. And it's, it's useful to be able to talk to somebody about the issues you encounter and to be able to compare notes or at least even sympathize. Sometimes just having a, a sympathetic ear is useful. There's some paperwork and reporting and detail work that I need to do to report things up to Paizo, but mostly it's just helping people resolve issues, find their way to better games, and make coordination easier. Let's say some of the listeners are listening in and they're like, that sounds like a lot of fun. I wish we had a gaming group near me. How can they get into contact with somebody like you or maybe somebody a little bit below you that can help them start or coordinate a society play group in their area? Easy way to do that is to go onto the Paizo webpage, paizo.com, P-A-I-Z-O.com. And under there, there's a Pathfinder Society section. Under that section will be information on how to find people near you. And in the case you're, you get lost in there or something, send an email to customer service for Paizo, and they will end up directing you to the right person. There are also a lot of Facebook groups out there. I know that uh, Brian and I are both admins on the Pathfinder Society Facebook group, and so that's another good place to ask. Glad to connect people with, with gaming in their area. I like that group. Awesome. Thank you for thank you for all the help you do. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure people thank you very often, but I would like to say thank you. I... I enjoy society play, and I do I do appreciate the hard work that you guys put into it. You guys oh, yes. make it a really fun, enjoyable experience. Well, it's something I'm passionate about, so it's it's something I I want to do. I don't really see it as a job; as more uh, kind of a continued way of, of service, as well as something I enjoy. I mean, I like helping make things better and trying to figure out how to make things better, and I like the continued conversations that are had about how to do this strange craft of running organized play systems and the, the learning that continues to go along with it. Because these things haven't really existed in the form they are now. Right around the turn of the century was when, I can say that, uh, the two, year 2000 was when the Living Greyhawk kicked off, which is a large organized play campaign. It built on other organized play campaigns before it, but they really grew a lot larger after that. And so there's not a lot of uh, knowledge about this. So it kind of feels like a little bit of Wild West, a little bit of scientists, a little bit of uh, alchemy, a little bit of making things up as you go along. So it's an exciting yeah. thing to be a part of. Eric, you've described uh, successful um, organized play coordinator as being a community manager. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Well, this is a... Uh, a, a conversation that's linked with a lot of other things. Like I said earlier, there's a, a natural virtuous flow that happens of players come in, you have a group of players, players eventually become GMs, GMs eventually, some of them become coordinators, which are the people that help make sure that the, the games are scheduled and the games happen. This works 
when the community supports itself. And this gets into a little bit of economic theory, because the thing that will, will collapse any community is having too many free riders, too many people who take from the community and don't give back to it. So part of that learning I was talking about, about learning how to make organized play systems work is learning how to make the organized play communities work. And the thing I found that's necessary is you need to have the idea present in the moral matrix of the community itself that the community thrives when people contribute. If people don't contribute, the community gets harmed. So there's only a certain amount of taking you can accept from people in the community without them giving something back. Once that message is in there, you can start to have that virtuous cycle of moving from player to GM to, to coordinator. Now, not everybody should do that, but everybody in some way should contribute back into the overall health and well-being of the community. And this could be your player is a great enthusiast who draws new people in. They are a person who helps with the setup and takedown. There's a lot of ways to give back, and that community organization piece. The other piece is, you know, what do you do when you have those problem people? How do you work to change their behavior, often a chance to change their behavior so that they could contribute to the community? And this feels like one of the things I say many, many times. There was a period I actually had this in a uh, text file that I would copy and paste to response uh, to respond on multiple Facebook or uh, Paizo threads, which is, you know, how do you, how do you deal with a problem player? How do you deal with the person who's causing the problems? And the way I figured out how to do that, the way one way I found to make that actually realistically happen most of the time, but you can't deal with the rules. You have to deal with the person because if you're having a problem in the game, it's not usually not because of the rules. Usually it's because of the person. If the person has a good sense of sharing, a good sense of that this game is about more than just me, that's about us, that's about that community. In general, your games will be good. If the person is selfish, if the person is making it more about themselves, that type of person will generally make the game worse. And to get to those people, sometimes those people don't know they're causing a problem. So I've got this, this step-based system to walk through to say, hey, you know, is this really a problem? You know, have you talked to others to confirm it? Can you get specific examples? Put those examples down, have a talk with this person in private where it's, you're presenting, hey, this is the problem you are causing. Here's the damage you're causing in these specific examples, because it's very difficult for people to argue against specifics. And then say, here's what you need to change. Here's what good behavior would look like. Often the chance to change. Sometimes people literally do not know they're causing problems. If they choose not to change, they are usually presented with another alternative, which is go have your fun elsewhere. You know, this is not the place for you. So you're, you're basically advocating to <clears throat> treat people as people Yes. Yeah. In the game. Yeah. A, a, you know, a, re a revolutionary concept. A, be polite, talk to each other, and treat people like people. I don't know. That's a little hippy dippy for me, man. <laughs> well, I am a stealth hippie. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Treat people as people because without treating people equally in these kind of games, you're going to kill the society really quick. You, you, you said you've been involved in gaming and it's been a hobby for you since like the 70s. How really did you get involved into like Pathfinder Society and all that? Well, I was uh, heavily involved in Living Greyhawk, which is the organized play system that came before. <clears throat> Um, as that was uh, shutting down from Wizards of the Coast, moving to 4th edition, Paizo decided to start offering Pathfinder Society. Um, and so knowing the organized play community in the San Diego area, the prior organizer who was in San Diego, Tom Key, and I had a conversation where we said, hey, do you want to take this on or should I take this on? And he had been doing organized play for Wizards of the Coast. We planned on continuing going on to 4th edition. Uh, and I took the mantle of doing it for Pathfinder Society. 
And so I started coordinating in San Diego for that and then became one of the first 13 venture captains who were named for Paizo, which is uh, going on six years ago. How many of them are left now? Four. We each have our own, you know, contiguous landmass. I have the United States. There is Stephen White in Australia. There's Alka Taniga in the Netherlands and Dave and Harrison in, uh, you're in, um, London, Great Britain. Great Britain. You're also, your entire region that you coordinate with is not only the southwest of the United States. You also cover Mexico, Central America, and South America, right? Correct. Correct. That's a lot of land. It is. Uh, the thing is, there's, there's, uh, I have a person in uh, South America who is my, my single point of contact. Hopefully I say his name right, Herbert. And he is the centralizing point for all of my South America people. Or they can reach out to me directly, but he's the, 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 the closer person to talk to. And Goodness. then I live in San Diego, which is not too far from Tijuana, where I know there's some gaming and anything in Mexico I can cover as well. That's good. Yeah, I heard they have a pretty impressive convention down in Tijuana. I have heard that as well. I have not had the opportunity to go yet. That adult scheduling thing keeps getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, you have to adult too much. Sometimes so, adulting is hard. It's very hard. I don't like adulting. Can we just stop adulting? Go back to being kids? <laughs> I think it's that whole thing in moderation. You know, you adult in moderation. <laughs> so, Eric, I heard, <clears throat> I heard that you received a kind of special reward or recognition from the Pathfinder Society. What's that all about? That sounds pretty neat. Well, one of the things that the Pathfinder Society has done as it's, as it's grown and gotten bigger is they've started to give out campaign service awards. And these are your... Uh, like almost like challenge coins you got you would get in the military. And uh, I was recipient number seven of the Pathfinder Society Campaign Service Awards, the first being to a friend of mine up in the Seattle area named Kyle Elliott, a wonderful guy. Hopefully he listens to this. So that's that's a recognition for all of the, the contribution and service we've given to the society. At the same time, Brian and my fellow admin on the Pathfinder Society Facebook group, Robin Nixon, was a recipient of that as well. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. I think all the California venture captains got it at the same time. (laughs) We did. Uh, Michael Azzolino was the other uh, winner at the time. Um, I particularly like mine because it changes my Pathfinder Society number. Um, The way that the Pathfinder Society tracks you is by a number. It's like your ID. Uh, And this changed my number to 707, which I particularly appreciate because upside down, that's LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So. Earlier, you'd mentioned D&D organized play, and I had a question. What came first, the Pathfinder organized play or the D&D organized play? D&D organized play, because that goes back uh, into the 90s and I think maybe a bit prior in a game called Living City. (laughs) Living City was run under the second edition rules of D&D. It it ran for multiple, multiple years, uh, but it never hit the explosive growth levels until third edition was released, and there was the whole open gaming license led to a huge expansion in gaming using that open gaming license, which is where Paizo got the rights to move on and do do, uh, Pathfinder. I remember Living City. You get to play in Raven's Bluff. Yeah, that was a a campaign centered around one particular city. When I went to Living Greyhawk, it was around the entire Greyhawk world. Uh, Then there was Living Forgotten Realms, which is the fourth edition version, and now uh, D&D Adventures League, which is the fifth edition version. 
Now, there's a lot of other organized play campaigns out there. There's an organized play Call of Cthulhu campaign. There's organized play Shadowrun. There's organized play Outbreak Undead, where you play generally yourself in an undead you know, a zombie apocalypse scenario. Under Outbreak Undead, if you're interested in them, just hit outbreakundead.com. I'm going to look into that because like, if it's just you... I own firearms, and one of my firearms has a built-in bayonet, so does that give me like a double weapon bonus? <laughs> there you go. You know, I don't know. These are all things I want to check out, because one of the other things I do is I uh, am the coordinator for role-playing games at two local conventions. Wow. And so I'm always looking for more stuff to bring in and more things to, you know, to offer to people, because I think they're awesome, and I would like to have them around so I can enjoy them. Oh, so you got to, like, really know your stuff when it comes to all these role-playing games. Well, I, I try to connect myself to great people who know a lot of stuff, and I can learn by being around such great people. Now, part of the Pathfinder Society Organized Play world has the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm, I'm, that's very new to me. Same here. Okay. Okay. Well, the Pathfinder Adventure card game is uh, a deck or card-based game where you play as a group against a scenario. So it's a, it's a very collaborative, very cooperative um, experience where you have to work together to defeat a specific opponent situation or a challenge that you're facing in a particular scenario. If you want to get a good taste of it, they have a version of it available on, uh, on your mobile device so you can get it on your phone. Uh, it's a great way to kind of get introduced to the card game. You just have to picture that you would be playing that same game with multiple people around the table to feel a great like hey we really are a group trying to get, accomplish a greater cause than just ourselves how is that played in organized play they actually release specific scenarios for the card game and much like in pathfinder society there's paperwork that says hey here's what i did here's what i get from it in the card game itself you get the ability to add different things to your deck adventure card game you're playing a specific character so you know you're playing the fighter today I'm playing the bard, I'm playing the ranger, I'm playing the cleric, much like you're doing in the regular role playing. I have to, I, I want to ask this because I, I have to ask, in organized play, is there ever a class that somebody plays that you just, when they play that class, you're just like, oh, pick something else? Or do you really not have a bias? Because I know there are some players out there and, and some, uh, GMs or anything that really actually don't like a certain class. Uh, like when the gunslingers were first coming around, I know a lot of GMs did not care for them. Yeah, that whole you got your science in my fantasy thing. Yeah. Um, this comes back to my earlier <laughs> comment about problem people versus problem mechanics. Very rarely are the mechanics the problem for an experienced player who knows how to play collaboratively and share spotlight at the table. For example, I am a power gaming role player, I do both. You can do both responsibly by throttling the amount of spotlight you have and throttling the amount of ability you're using. So there are some classes that give tremendous mechanical advantages in certain situations, but in other situations, those advantages don't exist. Like the witch in Pathfinder is a massive debuffer in short range, and the gunslinger is great against heavily armored opponents since they're attacking touch, or the magus is great at you know, doing super spiky Nova-type damage. You just change the scenario on them, which is an easy thing to do in the home game. If you have a distant opponent for the witch, they can't do anything about it. If you take away the gunslinger's gun in the game by using the rules, they can't do anything about it. And, you know, you can exhaust the Magus's Nova ability with multiple opponents. The thing is, in Pathfinder society, and in really all gaming, you got to realize, deck stacked in the player's favor. The players are the rock star heroes of the game, and they're supposed to win. As the person who's running the game, as I said earlier, I really like to sit in that director role 
where I am the person who's who's kind of collaborating, you know, coordinating the shots and the overall story arc of the of the event. I'm not necessarily like an adversary. I'm just I'm just shaping the environment to tell a better story involving this cast. So a long-winded answer to saying I don't really have any problems with any of the individual types of characters people can play. I find it's more the the person that needs to be dealt with. That's good. I, I like that because I'm, I'm going to show my hand. The first character I ever made was a gunslinger. There you go. I have one and, to play as well. Quite and like, like you said earlier, a lot of guys don't really like, hey, get your science out of my fantasy. I actually, in a lot of cases, like science with the fantasy. And that's why the gunslingers just seem so interesting to me. And especially the region where they're supposed to come from in the game, where it's basically a, a magic dead area. I, I thought that was really interesting. I've always embraced my my right to be able to walk away. There was a season in PFS where there was a lot of heavy sci-fi stuff going on. And I wasn't real fond of it. I wasn't fond of a lot of robots and aliens and stuff like that. So if there was a game session offered in that season, I didn't play it. And that increased my enjoyment of the game because I wasn't playing at a game that I knew I was going to have a bad time at. That's good because you, you, you took yourself out of the situation where you were you knew it was going to damage your love for the game. Yeah, it wasn't my thing. But a lot of people enjoyed that. I mean, I thought it was cool that they did it. It was really neat that it was a thing, but it just wasn't my thing. It wasn't It wasn't something I was interested it, in. It was a good reach device for people who don't normally go out for fantasy games. They usually like sci-fi games. So I, I think that was, like you said, it was a good idea, just not your thing. I mean, I would probably want to try a game or two from that from that season. Other than that, I love Pathfinder the way it is. You know, A little hint of science, a lot of fantasy. That goes back to what Eric said about the whole community thing is you yeah. know, just be a decent person. Brian saw a situation in which he was like, not my thing, and I don't want to hurt anyone else's fun or my fun, so I'm just not going to risk it. Yeah, and that exactly. goes to being a good exactly person, that. and that helps build the community. Yeah, exactly. That's Absolutely. great. And that's why it's called a society. That's why it's called society play, because it's built around everybody as a whole. Yes. So. You've told us a lot about your involvement with Pathfinder Society, being the event co- the venture coordinator, and everything. But I, I want to know, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself outside of uh, PFS? Like, what are your nerdy hobbies outside of that? <laughs> I'm always into something. Uh, I taught myself lock picking. Uh, I've got a long running thing where I'm working on playing blues harmonica, which comes and goes. I'm an avid martial artist studying with an incredible instructor, and I literally feel like I'm in a PhD program. Um, I study how the brain works as well as how we process information and how we how our consciousness itself works um as well as i'm a big follower of nate silver in 538 uh my job is as a business systems analyst slash solutions architect so for example in the past week i've been trying to build a billing taxonomy which lists the different types of billing patterns that could exist inside of the billing system and pouring over the list of public apis which are application interface contracts for third-party billing systems looking for additions to that pattern model. When I said I am a geek, I am not kidding. I understood half of what you said. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) But I can say this right now. I want to be your best friend. I love collecting interesting people. That's like one of my collections is getting interesting people. My two two other hosts here should be proof of that. 
buddy, I want I want you in my collection because you are just an awesome person, and I can guarantee there would be never a dull moment with you. I got something I want to ask Eric specifically about because of something I know about him. Um, you participate in a really cool event at Comic Con every year, one in which you've injured yourself before. <laughs> Can you okay. tell us a little about that? I'd, I'd also love to hear the story about the injury, too, because that's a good story. All right. So what Brian's talking about is another thing I do, uh, which is I, I did a lot of volunteer work for haunted house companies uh, working in uh, haunted houses in Colorado. As a part of that, I got trained on how to do theatrical prosthetic makeup. Uh, so if you see my Facebook page, every once in a while, you'll see all this, this uh, makeup work. Uh, this year, I'm going to be doing the makeup for a friend of mine's barber shop. So at least two people, maybe the coffee shop in the same building and maybe some of the other stores. So I do a lot of work with makeup uh, just because it's fun. Uh, there was an event that was present at Comic-Con several years back tied to The Walking Dead. It was called The Walking Dead Escape, The Walking Dead Experience, where they took over Petco Park, which is a, a stadium in downtown San Diego. And they made basically an A to B course where you're trying to go from point A to point B, you, this course was sprinkled with maybe 200 zombies and they'd let through about 200 people at once. When this first came out, I thought it was amazing. I went to it for three days in a row. The first day I went and watched because you could get and watch the runners run by and watch the zombies do it. So I get a good idea of what it was. The second day I went back and I was a runner. Um, and it is a unique experience to be in the middle of a crowd of 200 people when they panic. <laughs> you really feel that that herd instinct kicks in. I ran down two flights of stairs with someone hanging on my back, and it just wasn't the thing. You, you become this this unit, this group. You have to watch out for it, though, because what happened to me is I was uh, running through the course, and I got hit from behind by another runner um, and ended up tearing my Achilles almost all the way through in two places. Oh, my gosh. Um, I didn't I didn't realize it at the time because it, it presented like a really, really severe sprain. Um, because I could still extend my foot. I still had pushing force, but it was very weak, which is like what you get in a very severe sprain. EMTs looked at it. They confirmed it was a severe sprain, and then I went on to walk the rest of the course. And the next day, I was scheduled to be a zombie on the course, which Ooh. I was really bummed. I'm like, I, I'm hurt. You know, I can't do the zombie thing. And I eventually said, forget it. I'm going to do it anyways. Even if I have to be All a crawling right. zombie, I'm going to do it. Uh, and so it was fascinating doing it because I do a lot of role playing. I do a lot of character work. I've also studied a little bit of the Stanislavski method. So whenever I would immerse, immerse myself in the zombie character, I didn't have an injury. I didn't feel it. It didn't exist. When I come out of it, about 30 seconds later, I'd start to feel it. It was a fascinating experience about how we can, how our consciousness can influence what we perceive of the world. So that's what, that's what Brian was talking about. And then I, I walked around on this thing for two months thinking that it was just a severe sprain. It didn't heal. I ended up having Achilles reconstructive surgery, got over that, and then went back to do the event the next year because there was no way I was going to stay away from it. I wanted to go ahead and do it, you know, get back on the horse and see what happened. So I did the course and that was the event that Brian was talking about. When Eric hurt himself, we actually got a bunch of guys from our local gaming community together. And we took a giant battle mat and made a dungeon in the shape of Get Well Soon. <laughs> and I nice. made group photo. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was it. I, I can't believe it was so epic when that happened because you told the whole story on, on Facebook. And I remember you even saying that you didn't know if you were ever going to be able to run again. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can jog now. Well, the story continues in that uh, my company has a Christmas party. 
And this was just after I got the cast removed, like two days after I got the cast removed. And so I'm still walking around on crutches. Um, and that night, uh, friends of mine and I were going to go see The Hobbit. Um, so I was going to go to the Christmas party and then go see The Hobbit. What ended up happening was I slipped and fell in the bathroom. There's a wet patch on the floor and my crutch slipped and I caught all my weight on my injured foot. Mm. Reopened the surgery site, uh, didn't realize it, uh, was walking out the Christmas party, heading back to my car to go to The Hobbit and then realized I'm leaving the blood trail. Yeah. So I, uh, I again, you know, I, one of the other things I've been trained in is I'm a certified disaster services worker. So I know basic first aid. So I started applying basic first aid to myself. And the EMTs got called, and I ended up in the emergency room. Ended up getting it basically splinted, you know, matched up and splinted, um, and then recovered from that. So this this zombie thing has been quite the uh, interesting ride. Quite the everlasting experience. Good Lord, it is just well, making you happy over and over again. It's uh, it's interesting because after the surgery, you know, I did a lot of martial arts. I've also been I dropped out of corporate America to be a dancer. At part of my life was part of a dance troupe for a while. So I've had a lot of movement training. And after the surgery on my, my left leg, it feels like from the knee down, like they gave me a different limb. So I'm having to relearn how to use it. And I've been doing a lot of, a lot of continuing work on that, which I'm still, you know, still going to keep doing because I'm not going to be satisfied until I can do everything I want to do. And if I can't do everything I want to do, then I'm not done yet. Well, that's good. Well, I hope you get yeah. better soon. I hope your leg oh, no. like improves. <laughs> No, it's, it's great. It's just, it's just different. It's just odd. So I'm still working like on the articulation of my foot for kicks and how to transition weights and stances and things like that. And I'm doing it, which is awesome. So just an adjustment. That's great. I want to not to steal the spotlight too much, but I want to tell a story real quick. That's pretty similar. So years ago I was riding my bike and I lost my balance because I had some mechanical failure in my bike and my bike flipped around as I was falling, and my brake handle stabbed me in the inner thigh on my right leg. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. The, the blunt brake handle went about an inch and a half in. <laughs> and when it was removed, when I was at the emergency room, they had to cut all sorts of stuff off and patch it up, and I never had, like, really, like, adequate treatment. For a while, it was very much like Eric, that I was walking around and felt like I was on a prosthetic leg. My leg didn't act like it was, I had control over it. That, oh my gosh. That's and it, it, it took about five years of um, yoga therapy to get, to get it feeling right again and to break through the scar tissue and to get my leg working normal again. My goodness. So I can relate to that. I, I'm, luck, I'm lucky in this that I've got some great people down here in San Diego. There's uh, Anthony Carey and Derek Price. Uh, Anthony Carey runs a the kind of the place that takes you from Pete from the phys into physical therapy kind of back to where you need to go. He runs a place called uh, Function First, which is in he's an incredible, uh, knowledgeable person, very very helpful, and they have helped me kind of come the rest of the way back. So like PT took me to like thirty percent, and they've taken me like to high eighties, low nineties. That's good. That's awesome. Glad you're on your way back. And Brian, I had never heard that story from you before. So, wow. I'll show so, you the scar. The next time I see you, it's like a little, it's a little dimple on my right thigh. That, cool. But like I'm a, I'm kind of slightly visual. So the moment you described it, I saw it in my head and I'm just thinking, good Lord, how did you get that entire bike to the emergency room? <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you want the visual of it, when I landed on the ground, I went to get up and I'd been, caught up in my bike before when I'd fallen. 
So I just thought my legs were caught up in my bike. So I pulled really hard. And right when I pulled, I looked and I watched it pop out and a whole bunch of stuff just went bloop out of my leg. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I see it now. No. Uh, I have a story, then. If we're all going to be telling horrible accident stories. stories. Okay, let's do this. Come on. So in high Go school, ahead. I played football. Yes, I know. Nerdy, nerdy me on this nerd podcast playing football. One of one of our practices, I had fallen and one of the rules of football when you fall is you're supposed to tuck like all your limbs in. And I'll very soon explain to you why. I put my arm out, not both arms. For some reason, I tucked one and put the other one out. Like I half got it right. And the person in front of me fell on top of me. So it was like, you know, like a good like 400 pounds on this one arm. Um, and I felt a pop <laughs> or I heard a pop. I don't know. And I get up and my arm is, it's a U. Like, oh, it's a U. It <laughs> oh, was a, God. I, I bowed my arm. <laughs> and, and the coach was like, he's fine. Get up back. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, I had a compound yeah. fracture. Uh, the bones were actually splintered and poking, th trying to poke through the skin. Uh, compound fractures when the bone uh, actually ruptures the skin and pokes out. Yeah, uh, I've seen those before. So I had to get surgery and I have metal plates in my arm now that were like drilled through my bones to keep them together. And so like there are there are still times that my arm doesn't feel right. And if you pay attention, it's still kind of got like a slight bend at one point in it. <laughs> If you also touch just right on the scar on a cool day, his and his arm feels like cold metal. Like I've I've touched his arm on that scar and it's felt colder than the rest of his body. Yeah, because metal heats or cools depending on the temperature. So yeah, it, it, it's really interesting and it's slightly unnerving. I'm like, are you the Terminator? <laughs> <laughs> no, complete opposite. I've had people ask me like, oh, if you hit somebody with the arm, would that hurt them? And I'm like, I guess it would hurt them, but it would probably hurt me a fuck ton more yeah because you got those bolts wanting to move around yeah it's not fun so eric i understand the pain of of just about losing a limb and and like it feeling weird and you not like having to relearn to use your limbs correctly because i've had to re relearn to use my left arm in a certain way because i can't lift the same way i used to mm -hmm. yeah. but you find new ways to do it you find ways around that right? yeah you find ways to instead of like you know moving your wrists so this way you move them this way i'm sure you learn the same thing with your ankle the closest i can come to about having to relearn how to move stuff is i've severely thrown my back out and to where i've had to relearn how to i had to learn how to re i had to relearn how to bend over correctly because my back was thrown so far out of alignment uh and it came from a year of you know bad posture or anything but what caused it to go out is my most embarrassing moment of my entire life. I was at home. My wife was out. And I, I was like, I better clean up the house. My back was not feeling super great that day. I was like, but I got to do it. I lift up a heavy trash can. I lift up pots and pans. I moved a desk. I was like, oh, this pillow from the couch is on the ground. Better pick it up. Leaned over. Literally leaned over, grabbed the pillow, heard a crack, a pop, and I couldn't move. And so I, I crumbled to my knees, bent over. I had to, I crawled over to my coffee table with my head pointing down because it, it hurt too much to lift it up. I had to pat around the coffee table to find my cell phone. I finally got my phone, text my wife, you need to come home right now. When she came home, walked to the door, my head is on the offending pillow and I'm, my body is in a U shape on my, and I'm on my knees. And she goes, what happened? And I told her the story. And my wife, I love her to death. She's most beautiful person in my life spiritually <laughs> mentally physically 
But this woman walked in, said, what happened? I told her what happened. She falls to her knees laughing at me. (laughs) As it should be. For a good five minutes, then gets up, helps me to the couch, and I'm laid out for a a week. And then I had had a lot of chiropractor's appointments to actually readjust me. Like It wasn't just a, oh, we're going to pop you a couple times. He actually had to realign my spine uh, to where I wasn't crushing vertebrae. And I actually had to relearn how to bend over correctly. And by bending over correctly, I now know that I actually have a knee, uh, a severely damaged cartilage. Uh, so I have uh, damaged cartilage in my right knee that will probably require surgery in the next four years. So mm-hmm. I, I can understand about your body betraying you. Well, it's not like betraying. It just changes. And you got to deal yeah. with the change. It's like life. You know, stuff changes, you deal with it. Or you don't. Yeah, well, having to go through that extensive chiropractic work when I was 25 really scared me. Yeah. This is why I love this podcast. At least talking about gaming and and organized play, and then it leads into injury trading. I I understand why my knees are bad. I've ran down the side of a mountain at full speed before. Awesome. So I got another question question about gaming. I'm going to bring it back to gaming, Eric. We talked about the difference between Pathfinder Society, organized play, and home games. Do you occupy all your gaming time with PFS, or do you do some home game stuff too? I do a lot of home games. Um, I think I'm in five or six home games now, and I still play PFS on occasion. Most of my gaming needs are taken up by home games because in a home game, you can get a lot more customized experience, customized for you and your particular group. And so the the experience is generally richer, um, and we play very long-form games. I've been in games that last five years, six years. Um, now that's not, that's not saying we're playing every week. You know, we're all adults. We might play once a month or once every two months, but it's a, it's a very long form story. It's more about the experience of these particular people going through this series of events than the events themselves. So less a Michael Bay thing and more a character based drama. I like that. That being said, I also love playing PFS because there's this, there's this great thing that happens when you go back and forth between PFS and home game. Home game lets you get into the depth of the character and the relationships. Um, when you go from that to PFS, you you get more into the rules and you see more how the rules work. And it also kind of stirs you up and gives you different ways of looking at things. You get to meet all these different people that take different approaches on things and have different conceptualizations. So it kind of broadens the, your view of what, what the gaming universe is. Additionally, you can also learn, hey, here's some things I don't like that are available from the buffet of options. So you get a better idea about you know what your own personal tastes are, which you can then take back to home games and make your home games better. So Going back and forth, I think, is very, very helpful. That's good, because I've been in home games, and I've been society play, and I, I agree with, with that statement a lot. It's actually uh, really good, because home games, I've really tell, it shows me how to help me dive into characters, and then society play, I just kind of let go and just enjoy the rules, and other people, like, the other people who play are great. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the other guys, I can't remember his name very well. One second, because I really want to mention his first name at the very least. I won't go all the way through. He is a gentleman by the name of Mark. He has a he. When I first met him, he had a, a naked luchador character in Pathfinder. <laughs> and I, know who, I, I know who you're talking about. So do I. I love that guy and his character and, the, and his his diving into characters. Like because I've seen his other characters too. He's just wonderful and it makes me happy that i get to meet these kind of people going to society and uh, it's great thank you you for making that all possible you are talking about nude fighter yes talk about the famous nude fighter story (laughs) yeah and that's the thing is you you get these bold conceptualizations that people bring to the table that you can go wow that's incredible 
Uh, one that kind of floored me was uh, I was up at one of the Los Angeles conventions and there was a person at our table and she had this bard that she was playing uh, based on Cobra Commander who would <laughs> inspire you by yelling at you and telling you you're doing it wrong. And it was just incredible because she spent the entire game yelling at you like, no, you're doing the wrong thing. You should do that other thing I said. What are you doing? Well, giving everybody benefit. And it was just like this amazing, like, I'd never thought of that. That's incredible. I am so stealing that, putting it in my palette of options. And thank you for that incredible experience. That, that's that wicked cool. awesome bard idea. I've never thought of that. That's right? so yeah. cool. Right? And that's, that's what being involved in this kind of ad hoc game where you never know who's going to be at the table and you never know who's going to be running it gives you. It gives you all these, hey, there's all these different ways of looking at the world. Oh, yes, totally. Uh, I... I have I have one I want to ask you about, Eric. Um, sure. I heard that you play a certain character. I haven't seen it in action, but I've been wanting to ask you about it. I heard you play a Talden Battle Clown. <laughs> okay. Explain. Uh, I do. I do. In general, I try to follow something that I call Alka's Law. Alka Taniga is the venture captain of the Netherlands, who had this great quote about, you shall not talk about your characters. You shall play your characters so awesomely that other people talk about them. <laughs> so this is something I, I try to live by because it, it's so hard to explain your characters to other people. And, you know, generally people are more interested in you talking about their characters. This character is a witch. Um, and one of the witch's core abilities inside of Pathfinder is this mechanical thing called cackle, which is effectively they laugh and they extend, the, they extend the duration of some of their powers. Now, as I said before, they're short-range debuffers. So I thought, oh, I'd like to play a witch. The witch is cackle. Well, what's another way of cackling? And I thought of clowns and clown laughter. And so I built an entire character just to be able to laugh like a clown. And the, the thing that I thought is, well, if I just play a clown, it's going to be a little bit boring. So why not play a counter clown, counter trope to a clown, and then slowly have him become a clown as it goes through the game. So I have this very ancient, elven, noble-looking clothing designer who starts out the game in you know, high French fashion, and by the end of the game is, is effectively looking exactly like a clown, doing that very goofy clown level. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll do at the table, and then sometimes I bring a red nose that I'll put on as well. That, you know, that. my wife had an interesting witch that I helped make her, and she was really sad when when that witch died, actually. Yeah. We came up with this idea of she would make this witch who was literally insane. She would never talk to any of the players directly, she always talked to them through her familiar. Mm. And her familiar was a frog, which a lot of witches start out with the frog because of the low HP. And so she'd basically be like, you know, somebody would say something and she'd be like, talk to the frog. She'd be like, tell the idiot that's a bad idea. Rip it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brian gave her the idea to start a witch because my wife actually can cackle, like really cackle, cool. like really well. Yeah, it's and so rich. she would start doing in the game, and people really can cackle. <laughs> right, it's fun to do. I have an important question, though. I'm not the one who killed your character, am I? I don't think so. No, I think it was. Um, I can't remember his name. It was that. Ven it was uh, one of the DMs at the. Uh, he he was kind of uh, infamous in our little playgroup for for uh, collecting deaths. Lots of people died in his <laughs> in his games. Oh, I think I know you're talking about because I think he killed a ranger in one of my games. I just know people's characters died fairly often in his game sessions. Yeah, this guy doesn't pull punches. I can't remember his name either. All right. But, Brian, I, I do got to say this. So I, I can't remember what they were, but 
it was a game I played in you with when I, uh, with my cleric, and we went through the entire scenario without a fight because you had amazing Diplo. <laughs> oh, was that the was that the game that the GM had to apologize to the player who played the game for the first time who went games aren't normally like this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I, the- I, I, I loved that game, though. That was so good. <laughs> that was sort of the opposite of what Eric said before in that you need to meter your character to not take the spotlight. And then my high diplomacy character skips every single combat in the scenario. He convinced a ghost who was supposed to be our final, uh, was supposed to be the boss of the scenario. He convinced them to move on to the next plane of existence because <laughs> with his diplo, he was like, hey, she's moved on. She's happy. What about you? And they rolled and it's like, failed. <laughs> He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, we failed. Uh, it's gone. Scenario's over. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was when I was guilty of of taking the spotlight and not reining myself back like you had suggested, Eric. <laughs> but I'm gonna say well, it's a learn it's a learning experience. Yeah. I mean, you you learn from the mistakes you make, right? There is no failure. There's just feedback to help you the next time. Yeah, because you don't win by winning the game. You win by having yeah. fun with your friends. Yeah, exactly. and having these memorable things you can talk about for years afterwards. Hey, do you remember that time when? Yeah, I'm never, I'm never forgetting that game because it was, it was amazing. Anytime we were like going to comedy, like I'm going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Oh. It just worked every time. Is, but what, what class was that character? Wizard. Yeah, it was like it was a really <laughs> squishy wizard. wizard. No, was, low charisma wizard. <laughs> low charisma. I thought they were really squishy. Uh, like, very squishy character. Yes. Like, how the persuasion work with low charisma? No, it used. was a rules exploit where you could use intelligence instead of, of it was. charisma. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great. Uh, I, I'm, I was not mad at that game at all. I was like, my, I had my cleric geared up to fight. I put holy oil all over my weapon to fight this ghost, and he was like, "I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk to the ghost. You know, she's happy. She's moved on. Don't you think you should too?" And a, little, <laughs> a few other things. They they rolled diplomacy, and he's like. Moves on to the next plane of existence. That's the scenario. One of the things about reining yourself back is sometimes you might just, your GM just might not know what to do when you hit him with a roll like that. When that GM could perfectly, was justified in saying, diplomacy doesn't work in this situation. Yeah, but you, you, you totally blinded him. You can just yeah. do that as the GM, just say like, nope, you can't de- de- blow your way out of this. You know, you try to be fair and let the player use his strengths but there's just some situations where in order for the rest of the table to have fun the Mm -hmm. there's always that fiat for that specific rule of diplomacy and that the gm can just say it doesn't work this is true they can totally do that but there's another side to that which is that there's specifically something written into the guide for pathfinder society to allow creative solutions and in those cases where the table is having fun and the table wants it to happen the person running the game the gm is empowered to allow that creative solution to work of talking the ghost into letting go and moving on because it's made this memorable story that you're talking about how long after the event about a good year right yeah yeah. And yeah. and I did that. One of the things I did do is I asked the rest of the players. I was like, are you guys having fun? Are you okay with this? And they said, yes. Oh, everybody enjoyed the scenario. We all yeah. had a really good time. Even the guy for the first time, like we explained, yeah, this doesn't who, normally happen. But he was like, oh, it's cool. The guy who played the game for the first time expecting combat and not getting any. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're yeah. going to talk about cool stories of other people's players, Michael, I think your gunslinger had one of the coolest stories. All right. Oh, which one? What's it? It was very, I think it was very early in his life, and we did a scenario, I think we did a Black Rose scenario with the, I think we went to the library, or was it the museum? Oh, um, 
we had to go save some girls and he comes up and he sees the bad guy, the big bad boss at the very end of the thing. And he oh. goes, don't worry, ladies. I got this. Wink rolls. Natural 20. Oh, shit. Confirm crit. One shot. Kill the boss. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was. Um, they were, were like, wait, what happens? He's like, he goes home with the ladies. Apparently that worked. Yeah, I, I like we busted down a door and like. I had my I I had pulled my my pistol before because uh, I didn't have Gunslinger's Initiative yet, and I pull I I pulled my my pistol and I was like I got this I, I wink and I like I wink at the girls and I pull and I I aim my pistol right at the guy and I was like bam and it's natural twenty and he goes down and like because there were two other guys in the room and then I said I used my my remaining action to give them an intimidating stare and I rolled for intimidation and I and they failed the their their check and they ran and like they're like that's the game yep he just comes up shoots the boss scares the other two's away with a stare and just goes i got you ladies <laughs> well and you, you could see that in the tv show you could see that being an, a, a shot a scene in a show right because it works for the characters involved and it, and it sets up kind of like hey this person really is this kind of charism- charismatic badass Oh yeah, and that's one of my my favorite stories. Uh, it was it was great. It, uh. It's really cool when the GM can just realize that that's what's happening. There's this scene oh. happening, and just let it happen rather than fight it. You can't really fight the story. The story is something that exists between all the players at the table. It's not anyone really has control over it. You got to let it let it go the direction it needs to go for everybody involved. That's true. And one thing I liked is the GM we had, he could have just said, okay, you shoot him, and then we did that and everything. But he actually got into the description. He's like, the door busts open, and you draw your pistol, and, and bam, you, you, your shot lands right between his eyes, and he topples back behind the table. And then we went from there, and I was, and that, and like you said, you know, directing styles, it, I thought it was great. He painted a beautiful visual to something I just said, well, I, I shoot and critted. Oh, and in that moment, he made this memory that lasts for a long time because he made it about us. He made it about the group, yeah, rather than about individually you or individually himself. Yeah, it was it was great. So I got I got a story that involves Eric and a little bit of hero worship for Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I have no hero. So I had the privilege of being able to play at one of Eric's tables at Gen Con, and I want to say that Eric is the only GM I've ever played at who can slaughter through the entire party, have every single person in the party either die or they're about to die, and leave us all smiling and laughing as we left the table. What? You're talking about waking room. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the oh. most fun games I've ever participated in, and we failed miserably. Is that the one where your character joined the bad guys team? At that the end? was the one where my character joined the bad guys team at the end because Eric was very merciful and at the end said, I will give the, you the option to surrender, take a knee and bow to me, and then I'll let you walk away. Two people refused to bow and they died. One person bowed and then left. And then my character started asking questions to the bad guy at the end. And the bad guy said, well, you can follow me and become my apprentice and I can teach you all this stuff because Eric has to do that. He has to improv and keep the story going. And I went, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I should do. <laughs> well, there's just this tight theming between these two characters because the rune lords are rulers of an ancient empire that collapsed. Um, and they basically put themselves in stasis to avoid this horrific event uh, called the Earthfall. So they basically had a 
cataclysmic event happen and they put themselves into deep sleep cryo storage. And this was one that woke up and the rune lords have literally runes over all their skin and Brian's character had writing all over his character's skin. Yep. And so I thought, Hey, this is a nice pairing. I can see, I can see the visual, like here's the old style writing, here's the new style. And it could be this thing about the transition from the, the past to the present. So as a director, it made a great shot. And I'm like, why not? What's wrong with it? I actually took that character and turned it into one of my main villains in my home game. Outstanding. Oh, you brought her. You brought her back. Yeah, that's um, so cool. One of the things about the character is she had levels in Alchemist, and with Alchemist, you get this thing called a mutagen, and the mutagen is supposed to thematically change your body. And when she drank her mutagen, she was supposed to be coding herself in knowledge to increase her strength. So she got words all over her body when she drank her mutagen. I remember when I told Eric about it. Eric was like. So what do the words say? And I was like, they're different quotes. They're in different languages. And she was, he was like, oh, and I could already see the wheels turning. And then at the end, when he says, you could join me and become my apprentice, it totally worked. Uh, it, never in my life. I've, I've, I've played a lot of Pathfinder Society. And I've, you know, most of the time when everybody dies, it feels bad. I mean, you can usually walk away saying, yeah, it was going to happen. But you'd, everybody would be kind of bummed that it happened. Nobody was bummed at all. Everybody thought it was the best game they ever played in. And we, we failed. We failed miserably. Well, That's they, awesome. had, they had their agency. You had your agency about how to choose what happened with your character. And if you're an actor portraying a character on a TV show, you have a little bit of agency, a little bit of control about your character. Sure, the writers may put you in horrible situations and things may go certain ways. But you can always talk to the director and kind of correct the shot by restoring the, the people's ability to say, hey, here's how I choose to have what happen, happen. It, it let it be that thing where you're in control of it. It's not being forced on you. You get to choose the direction of how your story goes forward. See, Eric, this is just proof that you, you are a good GM. You can you can make people happy dying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If somebody's happy that their character that they spent uh, hours, if not days, on creating, just letting them die there, and you're like, awesome, that's pretty cool. Or in my case, ten pages. <laughs> yeah, so your your one uh, uh, what was it? Uh, your one night with the blade. Um, I make a lot of backstory for my characters, Eric. <laughs> oh yeah, you're talking about the Magus where the blade was his son. I remember listening. Bladebound, yeah. Well, there's yeah. him, and then there's also the the cleric. Both of them have just oh. pages upon pages of backstory. <laughs> Makes, and you have fun with it, and that's the great thing. Well, he makes me feel lazy because I'll do like a page or two of backstory, and then like I look at him, and I'm like, "Frick, a novel, man!" <laughs> well, it's, it's not a competition on, on numbers. It's it's like uh, going to the buffet. Different people want different things. This so is find true. The things you want and get that from it. Yeah, yeah. You like to make stories through like your actions, and I'm the kind of person that's like. I want to get into the behind the scenes story, but we both like building story, Michael. Well, I, I like um, contextual stuff. Like, like I can build context for him in my head on why he would do things and creates a story out there. I myself make every character different in that some I'll have a big backstory. Some I'll be like, this is my improv character, like um, Pathfinder Chang, who <laughs> has no backstory. He just wants to open a line of restaurants across the inner sea. Or Oz. <laughs> P.F. Chang. I love the stupid fucking joke, but I love it. His, his panda is named Panda Express. <laughs> I got to say, though, guys, I really enjoyed this episode. This was amazing. I, Eric, you are one of the more interesting people I have gotten to meet in a very long time. And this is, this has been great. This has just been great. Uh, I Let's go let's touch a little base. So, any plans for this week, guys? Anthony? Um. 
So I got into contact with computer people, so hopefully they'll be sending me the money to fix my to um, replace my graphics card, get me a new case, try to fix my PC. Because right now World of Warcraft is not working on my wife's laptop. That's got me worried. So my Uh-oh. gaming might be a little slowed down this week. You know what, Anthony? So- you don't care. I know. I don't care. I was about to say, Brian, do you care yet? <laughs> so I guess worst case scenario, I could catch up on the last season of Walking Dead, which I didn't watch. And I could catch up on the last season of Supernatural, which I haven't watched. I actually wanted to give you an assignment. Oh, shit. Um, not only Supernatural, but Doctor Who. Yeah. I haven't caught up on that season either. Fuck. Too many they're, shows. They're all on Amazon Prime. I don't have Amazon That's Prime. too bad. But they are. They're every single one of them are. Find a way to do it. Uh, I had to catch up on Supernatural. Well, I know how to torrent, Michael. <laughs> I don't. You ooh. don't do it though. You just know uh, how. Of course yeah. not. I just I mean, know how. Yeah, because this is a, a publicly broadcasted so, podcast. Now I'll say, I'll say, um, I'll say Doctor Who. That I mean, I'll say Supernatural then, because we need to talk about that on the show, and yeah, hopefully and we can get the girls from Supernatural: The Road So Far podcast on here. That'd be great. Because I, I do need to catch up. Watching so, but uh, what about you, Brian? What, what are your plans? I'm going to um, Santa Clarita Valley Comic Con this weekend. Oh, there's my jealous bone. Fancy. Um, I'm also. Um, if you go to the Supernatural Road So Far podcast Facebook group, which you yes. can just find for Supernatural Road So Far, you can join that and see my event, and you can watch Supernatural with me and all the other people who are watching. If <laughs> if you're listening to this show and you want to do that, that is something you can totally do. It's a lot of fun. Uh, for me, this week, uh, I'm continuing writing. I'm getting some more notes down. I'm really falling into the the concept of the story that I told you guys about on Honey Games. That's the name of the episode, not the story. I'm doing that. Uh, I actually want to try for either later this week or next week, uh, get get some time together with Brian and work on some concepts. So that's what we're going to be. That's what I need. I want to try and get that handled. So, Eric, what about you? What, what, what do you have in your grand scheme of everything? Well, like I said, I'm always up to something. I have my regular day job work. I have my standard uh, venture coordinating work. Um, I've also got a private martial arts lesson coming up this week. Um, I've got two home games. A friend of mine is uh, Derek Price is teaching uh, one of the classes at Function First, which I'm going to attend. I'll probably be there three times this week. I'm also heading up on Sunday to Northridge to watch a dance concert from a group called Palabolus. Um, they're doing a thing called Shadowland. Uh, if you haven't checked out Palabolus, they are incredible. They only have this one show in California, but they're doing a tour again. They've been, I think the past couple of years, this show has been in Germany. So I've been waiting for it to come to the United States. I'm going to head up there with a good friend of mine who I happen to be married to for 17 years, um, and we're going to go watch it. Oh, wow. That sounds That's exciting. Sounds that fun. sounds really cool. Okay, yeah. you might have to come back then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's really interesting. It looks sounds like we all got pretty full weeks. We're trying to get everything handled together. Um, uh, Brian is yeah, guys. Anything we want to plug this week? Well, um, I would like to talk about Nerdtopia, another podcast on SoundCloud hosted by Duel and Dalton. What I took away from it right away, coming from someone who's a podcaster about the same kind of topic, is this dude recorded an entire rap for his jingle. That's wicked cool. It's amazing. But they talk about a lot of the same kind of stuff um, we do. They talk about movies, pop culture in general, um, nerdy stuff. 
And it's really entertaining. It's cool to see a soloist podcast that's done really right. And he has different guests on on occasion. I really like his show. I've been enjoying it a lot. I also want to shout out a giant thank you to SoCal Games and Comics in Temecula, who has been periodically promoting our, our podcast. That's you guys are awesome. awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So thank that's you really so awesome. much. Uh, Anthony, any plugs for you? Uh, you know, just the Twitter, to be honest. I don't have any specific plugs for other people. So don't forget, everybody, to go to Nerdcast Radio on the Twitters. On the Twitters. On and the Twitters. You can see, see me post things about nerd stuff. Well, I don't really have a plug this week besides, you know, what I plugged last week, which is one of the podcasts I listen to. They're, they're big guys. They have no idea who we are, but I like them. Eric, do you have any... Uh, any plugs you need to give out? Well, I feel like I've got to give a mandatory plug to um, the Pathfinder Society at paizo.com. That's P as in Papa, A as in Alpha, I as in India, Z as in Zulu, O as in October.com. Um, as well as if you're in the San Diego area and you have you know an injury like we were talking about in the injury section, check out Function First in San Diego. For my contact info, you can always contact me at mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com. Always welcome feedback and talk from any of the viewers. Uh, Brian, what do you have any uh, contact info? Um, Brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com. And um, you can always reach me on the Facebook group, Nerd Podcast Radio. Awesome. Uh, Facebook page, Nerd Podcast Radio. If any, um, Eric, if anybody wants to contact you publicly without blowing up a, like a private email or anything about <laughs> Pathfinder, is there anything they can get you at? Absolutely. You can get me at SD pathfinder dot at uh, sdpathfinder at gmail.com. That information is also available on the Paizo site. Uh, for the regional venture coordinators. Awesome. Great. I always just Google I always just Google Paizo Venture Coordinator list and it's like the first thing. And everybody, thank you for listening to us as always and you know, give us reviews on iTunes, Stitchers, uh, give us a repost on SoundCloud. Come talk to us on Facebook. We're always happy to get feedback, talk to you guys. And if there's anything you think we should be talking about, just hit us up there on the Facebook page. That'd be awesome. And if um, reviewing us on iTunes and Stitcher is too hard for you because you're using a phone or whatnot, you could also review us on the Facebook page. We're always happy to get that. And we love, and if, even though we sound very sheltered, shielded, and very fragile, we love feedback. <laughs> we're very, we're, we're very open to this. We got our skin's a little thicker than you think. Uh, I just want to say thank you to our to our guest. Uh, pretty much, you know, he's our fourth nerd today. So I want to thank him very much, Mr. Eric Britton. You thank you for having. Me. You were fantastic. And you, <laughs> thank you very I much. Hope, I hope you here. come back very soon. Yeah, glad to. Thanks. So and you know, as always, I'm Special Mikey, your host, along with Hindu Anthony. Bye, everybody. And Super Vegan Brian. Goodbye, nurse. And everybody, that's been Nerd Podcast Radio this week. And as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, stay, and stay awesome. awesome. Run away, run away, run away. 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 Run